0: You ready? You ready? All right, hold on, here we go.
1: What's going on, everyone? This is the My Aggie Nation podcast. On this week's episode, we'll take a look at our weekly series with Jay Arnold breaking down the X's and O's of Aggie football. This week, we talk about what it's like to be a player during Open Week, and we look ahead to A&M's trip to South Carolina. Also, we'll hear from Ben Portnoy of the State Newspaper, who will give a closer look at the Gamecocks and the Aggies' matchup this weekend. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with Jay Arnold. What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle, alongside our man breaking down the X's and O's. That's Jay Arnold, former Texas A&M defensive tackle. Jay, what's going on, buddy?
2: Oh, you know, just uh, still recovering from a from an awesome trip to Morgantown.
1: Yeah, let's start with that. I know you uh you had a little a little send Jay away fundraiser thing here and got to go to Morgantown. Uh, what, what was that whole experience like?
2: Yeah, it was a blast. I mean, so this just started with. I looked at texting schedule and saw their bye week and ran a Twitter poll and had uh, the internet basically send me to a random game and uh, West Virginia against Baylor was the one that won out. And so I flew up to, to Pittsburgh uh, and then got a rental car and drove down to Morgantown to watch Baylor play in at West Virginia on a Thursday
1: night. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I saw pictures. You were like seeing the locker room. Like what, What was, what was, what, what all did you get to see? What all did you get to experience while you're up there?
2: Yeah. I, uh, I got a little mini tour of the football facilities, uh, got to see just kind of the weight room, uh, the cafeteria, uh, and then some other behind the scenes stuff. Thanks to my buddy, Brett, who, uh, works up there at West Virginia. Uh, and then I got to on, on, on the actual game day on Thursday, uh, West Virginia has this little, little tram system called the PRT. It stands for personal rapid transit. Mm-hmm. So if you're not familiar with the West Virginia campus, it's divided up into the Evansdale and the downtown campuses. And that little tram kind of gets you between the two. Uh, so we got in there on, on Thursday and, and rode that around. And that was kind of funny. And then uh, the blue lot, which is the main tailgating spot for uh, West Virginia, just north of Millen Pusker stadium uh, is literally a hospital lot. Uh, so for the the Thursday kick, they didn't open it until two hours before kickoff. Obviously there was still tailgating going on around campus. You just couldn't park in that lot. Uh, but I tell you what, whenever we got to five o'clock and it was two hours within game time, that place filled in and it was packed with tailgates. Uh, got some moonshine, some pepperoni rolls, got the full West Virginia experience. I had a blast and my voice is Still not recovered from singing country roads. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Uh, did you did you did you set any couches on fire? I did not set any couches on fire, but there were a couple of shoeys. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, let's get into a little bit of AM. I know last week we broke down what kind of happened in that loss at Alabama, and, and we started grading A&M's, uh performances midseason. We'll get into a little bit of that, but it was AM's open week this week. You were a former player. So let's kind of pull back the curtain a little bit on what open week is like. It, is, is this something as a player that you're looking forward to to kind of get a little bit of a break? Or is it something like you're going back to fall camp and you're dreading it? What 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 was open week like for for you as a player?
2: Yeah, I think open week is a. It's not like a fall camp where you dread it. It's it's really a chance to reset, uh, kind of look back at the season so far, and then get Melly ready for the next few few games. I mean, it depends on when your bye week is too. Whether it's in the middle of the season, towards the end, or at the beginning. Uh, with this bye week, it's more smack dab in the middle for for Texas A and M. Uh, but it's, I think it's a much needed kind of mental break. Uh, it's not as like, you're still going to be practicing hard, but it's not as much of a mental grind. It's also a chance for some of the guys who are injured to kind of take a step back and maybe, uh, focus on, uh, on PT and stuff like that to get ready for the next week. Uh, more than some games, give it a chance. Uh, but yeah, I, I would say it's definitely, uh, more of a break than a, a look back at fall camp.
1: It, you know, coaches typically and players the kind of coach speak cliche answer about what do you do in bye week is it's getting back to the fundamentals. Is that typically kind of what it is that you might kind of work a little bit on those those fundamentals, those those uh, uh little more individualist type things throughout a little bit of the bye week that you might not have the opportunity to do during uh the week, or does it resemble more of game week practice two weeks in a row.
2: So it's, I mean, you get a little bit of fundamental work, but really the way we kind of took bye week is, you look at stuff on film, you find out where your mistakes are and you address those in practice. And then also there's game prep for the next game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a little bit of both, uh, but really, I think it's, it's a important uh set of practices to to really address some of the failures that you've experienced. So if I'm Texas AM, I'm really focusing on not a specific opponent, but I'm focusing on, you know, communication with the offensive line where they've had issues. Uh, in the on the defensive side of the ball, I may be looking at some of the run concepts that AM struggled with. So th- this is really a chance to address some of the things that you've put on tape that are bad and uh, get some practice at Dealing with those better, if that makes sense.
1: Sure, sure. You mentioned players getting recovered. Uh, AM right now is a team that has a lot of guys who are banged and bruised. Um, if a guy is at all nicked up, banged, bruised, you usually see him a little bit more limited in these uh, uh, bi week practices so they can get that kind of rest and recovery.
2: Yeah, you definitely see him get a little more limited. I mean, you don't have this is the only opportunity you get throughout the season to kind of rest someone. And, you know, that goes for practice and the game. You know, the, the college football schedule is such a, a beating. Uh, I mean, even if you're playing a team that should be an easy win, there's still always the risk of an injury in a full-speed situation. So your bye week is really the, the one chance that you get throughout the season to kind of give those injured guys a chance to really recover as much as they can. Uh, otherwise, you know, you're kind of holding them, limiting them in practice, but they still have to have some kind of physicality throughout the week. I'd say bye week is the one chance that they really get uh, an opportunity to recover.
1: Jimbo Fisher mentioned today that not only did they game prep for South Carolina, who they play on Saturday, but they were able to do a little bit of future game prep as well. Is that typical uh, of bye week and of, of, of the open week that you might look ahead a little bit, especially if you maybe have a unique offense you're in defense you're going with? And, and how as a player do you kind of balance multiple game preps maybe in the same week?
2: yeah, so, so when I hear Jimbo say something like that,'m I'm, I'm thinking of it more as what I was talking about with the concepts that A may have struggled with and some of the things that you know future opponents may do well. and, and that can be because you don't want to get into full game prep. You should only be game prepping for one opponent at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if there are certain concepts that may apply to multiple games, you may focus on those a little bit more. Uh, in order to get ready for the rest of the schedule, especially if it's something like if you know there's a concept that South Carolina is running up front, which I haven't gotten into the film of them yet, uh, that some that is also something that Ole Miss may have run or that Florida may have run. It may be a deal where you look at that concept a little more often in the bi week practices than you would normally.
1: So I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here and this might be the most boring question of all time, or it might get something really great answer, but do you have a, do you have a favorite open week memory? Uh, is, is there something that sticks out to you when you think open week?
2: Uh, you know what? I I really don't have anything <laughs> from open week that I can think of that would be uh, super exciting. I'm trying to think back the, you know, if we watched any games during open week that were, uh, you know something that would stick out but i I really don't have anything uh sure. so
1: yeah I, I, I uh, I'm sorry that I don't was have probably a more fun answer case, <laughs> but, but it you are Jay Arnold you you never know y'all might have had like a a pinewood derby during the open week uh uh when y'all had off of, of camp or, uh, practice or something. Let's get into grades. Last week, of course, if you go back and listen to last week's episode, we uh graded, offense, defense, special teams, or Jay did, uh, on a pass fail scale today, we're going to look at coaching o- and overall, and then we'll look at some, uh, superlatives here from individual players. Let's start with coaching, Jay. I know you like this, uh, your, your favorite classes were pass fail. We're going to go pass fail. How do you grade coaching, uh, this, this season so far?
2: Well, when I look at what AM has done this year, uh, you know, there's some times where it just feels like they got out-schemed. Appalachian State is the obvious example. Uh, Mississippi State as well was just, you know, Mississippi State was able to take advantage of a and The best schematic game from my standpoint uh, was the loss to, to Alabama. Uh, so looking at that, you know, I, I think you have to give the, the Texas A&M coaching staff a fail in this scenario. Uh Mostly because, I mean, it's one thing I mean, going into this. If you had told me that A&M was 500, I think I would have been okay with that. But the fashion that AM ended up going 500 in with losses to App State, a uh, one sided loss to Mississippi State, I think that's not exactly what AM fans had in mind. Uh, obviously, Miami didn't end up being as good as we expected preseason, then Arkansas has had their struggles as well. Uh, but, you know, there, there's chance to improve. We'll see. You know, the coaching staff, I think, has an opportunity uh, coming out of this bye week uh, with, with a few good matchups ahead of them. I, I really do think the most difficult part of the schedule is behind as far as uh, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Alabama. But you still have a really tough matchup in Ole Miss, a Florida team who's who's decent. And then, you know, an Auburn team who <laughs> may or may not be playing for their head coach. We'll see and then LSU there at the end. Uh, but it's it's going to be interesting to see how the team reacts uh, and if the coaching staff can get back above that failing grade in the second half of the season.
1: I'm going to break this down a little bit more. I think everyone probably knows, and it's been well-documented, that that a lot of people aren't super happy with how Jimbo Fisher has called game on the offensive side of the ball. I think the one that is a little bit more maybe nuanced I'm curious, your take is, is DJ Durkin and the defensive side of the ball, um, taking let's, let's, let's cut out Jimbo's, uh, offense. How do you grade DJ Durkin in the first half?
2: I mean, I think it's part of the same issue. I think you have to give him a fail there. Uh, the Mississippi state game in particular was something that I was kind of disappointed in. Felt like we just repeated the same mistakes that we had from last year when we allowed Will Rogers to to kind of throw the ball all over A&M. Uh, you know, I one of the things that me and you both agreed on was that the three man front was not working. Uh, in hindsight, with maybe some of the issues with injury, uh, McKinley Jackson in particular, it makes sense to have gotten away from the four man front if you're not trusting the defensive tackle plays much. Obviously, having McKinley Jackson back, a lot more four man front against Alabama. So I'm wondering if that was more of a out of a necessity thing than a scheme thing, uh, in which case I'm, I'm willing to give him a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt. But uh, it, it's still there's some issues uh, going on with the defense that I, I mean, it's because I, I want to be fair too. the defense has kept a and in games for the most part. I just think the standard was a little bit higher for, for DJ Durkin going into the season
1: we talked about it a lot last week it is that kind of that microcosm of the fact that a&m forces four turnovers against alabama but also gives 300 yards it's it's hard to 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 really get a a, a good sway one way or the other when you do both of those things so that being said overall grade how, it, it, a&m's performance overall when you when you put an offense defense special teams coaching all the above what's your uh, grade for for the aggies at the midway point
2: i think this is the easiest one uh you know, 500, 50% average, she has got to be a fail uh, on a pass fail scale. So uh, there's a lot of season left and a I still think has the talent and the ability to, to close out the season strong. I mean, you know, if, if AM is able to run the table or even finish eight and four uh, I think it's a, a good season for the Aggies, uh, but you know, when you, when you start the season three and three, you kind of put yourself behind the eight ball. Uh, so I think you have to give that uh that first half of the season a fail.
1: Sure. So let's get into some superlatives. Who is your offensive MVP this year for the Aggies?
2: I think the offensive MVP is a pretty easy one. Uh, Devon A. Shane, uh, him running the ball has just been a, a really important piece for this AM offense. Uh offense. You no, know, I, I don't know if you have anybody else in mind, but I think Devon A chain is the obvious choice for this one.
1: Yeah, I think he was he was mine as well we kind of talked through this stuff on our, our podcast because I mean, yeah, he's he's the reason why. Like if if I was going to do the F the A through F scale, I gave the offense a D minus only because of Devon A chain. He's fourth in the SEC in rushing yards per game. That's usually a, a a pretty good place to be if you're a rusher in the SEC. Shifting gears, defensive MVP.
2: Yeah, so this one's a little bit tougher because uh, I think there's a few people who have had really great performances in multiple games. Uh, being a biased defensive lineman, I think I have to give my MVP to Fidel Diggs uh, just because I think he's been the biggest pass rush threat for AM. and m I think he was a huge factor in why they were in that game against Alabama, obviously forced, I think, two of those turnovers. Uh, so yeah, if I, if I had to pick one, one guy on the defense, I think I'd go with Fidel Diggs. Although, you know, the way the the linebacking core has kind of stepped up for a M as well. I think Edgeron Cooper uh, stepping up has been a little bit better with uh, uh, with Andre White going down, obviously with injury. Uh, he's another guy I'm looking at. And then in the back end, you know, there's a few different guys. Damani Richardson has had some good plays. That uh, that fumble recovery and, and handoff against Arkansas may have been something that saved the season. I, we could be looking at A&M being two and four. So he's another guy. I think you have to give uh consideration for the defensive MVP.
1: Sure. Sure thing. Uh, breakout player. Who's the guy who has maybe surprised you the most this season?
2: Uh, so if I'm looking at a, a guy that surprised me the most, I, I may have to go with Evan Stewart. I mean, I know that, uh, he's expected to do a lot of things coming in with the amount of hype he had, but I think he's still been the most productive member of this uh, receiving core for Texas AM. You know, there's there's been some issues with drops on occasion. Those things are going to happen when you're a true freshman, but you know, coming in and, and being one of the leading receivers on this team, I think is pretty much the definition of a breakout
1: player. Sure, sure. Uh, and then we won't individual. We won't single out any individual player, but what's a, the unit? that needs to uh, step things up the most heading into the second half of the season.
2: I mean, I would say the offense as a whole, but narrowing it down to position groups, I think the offensive line, uh, a lot of those struggles can be traced back to their issues, protecting the passer. And then, you know, they've gotten better at the run in the second half of this, of this, uh, I guess we'll call it the second quarter of the first half of the season. Um, They've improved in the run game a little bit, but there's still some communication issues that have to be ironed out. Uh, some stuff with uh, uh, protecting the passer where obviously quarterbacks are getting getting pressured quite a bit. Uh, but that's my one unit that needs to improve the most.
1: So you talked about an eight and four record being uh, probably a pretty good step in the right direction for A&M for where they are right now at this point in the season. Uh, with six games left, do you think they reach eight and four or do you think it's uh, uh, above or below that? It's
2: very tough, just because I, I don't know what kind of team we're going to get out of the bye week. I think the biggest positive here is that I would argue the two toughest or the two, I want to say I don't want to say easiest because no SEC game is truly easy, but when you look on paper, the two easiest matchups for Texas A&M are both the away games. They get all of the tougher matchups at home, which I think favors them, and then you also get UMass there who, I mean, I really hope AM and m beats UMass. Uh,
1: <laughs> that would, that would really be <laughs> no, to no offense
2: season. to the minute men, but uh, that would be a worse loss than app state for sure. Uh, but you look at the way it lines up. I mean, Ole Miss is going to be very tough to beat, but I think there are some things, there's some vulnerabilities there. Uh, Auburn on the road is still going to be tough. I said, I think Florida and LSU are both going to be tough. So I like I. <laughs> I mean, I think eight and four is the ceiling. Uh if we're being honest here. I don't see them running the table. I don't see them, you know, doing going nine and three after the start that they've had. I don't know which games are going to be those losses just because the team I feel like has a tendency to kind of play up to the level of competition. Uh, but you know. Looking at this, I see eight and four is the the ceiling. And I mean, depending on how things go, it it could get all the way down to six and six or five and seven, even. So yeah. bull bull eligibility is something that A&M has to get to.
1: Sure, sure. What 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 which of these final games do you have circled the most? Which one are you the most excited about?
2: Uh I mean
1: UMass doesn't count. It-
2: it has, <laughs> yeah. I think it has to be Ole Miss is the most exciting one, just because there's a good chance, uh, you know, even if Ole Miss, which even if Ole Miss loses to LSU this upcoming weekend, which I'll be in Baton Rouge for that one, kind of excited for uh, the Magnolia Bowl. But even if A and M or even if uh, Ole Miss does end up losing to LSU, they're still going to be top 15 team. So that's probably the most exciting matchup on the schedule. Obviously, Florida coming out of the East should be fun. Uh, and then you look down the schedule at LSU, there's always fireworks in that one, right? Uh the that matchup's been a little bit heated these past few years. So that one's hard not to get excited about. Sure. Uh and so then your your hated rival, South Carolina. I the mean the bottom trophy. The bottom trophy. Max Wright talked about it. You, you get fired up to play these guys for that trophy.
1: <laughs> there you go. Um, well, speaking of South Carolina, uh, I know you said you haven't delved into that film too much, but but what do you like? What don't you like in that matchup so far?
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I got to say I'm a big fan of of, uh, of Shane Beamer as, uh, as a coach. I think uh, he's a fantastic motivator. You know, I don't think South Carolina may have the talent level that some of the teams in the SEC uh, maybe have, but I think uh, Beamer does a great job of coaching his guys up and giving them a chance to win. Uh, that's a tough matchup for AM on the road. Uh, we'll see. I mean, South Carolina is coming off a bye week as well. So they they should be rested up theoretically. Uh, four and two records so far through the season. They're coming off a big win against Kentucky. Uh, and uh, Beamer was a little bit excited after that game too, huh? <laughs> With the, uh, the sunglasses and the dancing.
1: So mm-hmm.
2: I think uh, you look at South Carolina, they have a little bit more momentum coming into this one. Uh, the one thing I will say is that South Carolina struggled uh, against the run a little bit. Uh, Arkansas was able to run the ball really well against some Georgia, obviously pillar to post. Uh, so we'll see what a is able to do. I think we have to see improvement out of the offense going into this one. This could be a pretty good litmus test for how the end of the season
0: goes.
1: Yeah. And uh, Spencer Rattler prone for some turnovers uh, here and there. And AM is prone to getting some turnovers. So, <laughs> could be a big factor in that game as well jay we close it out this way as always what's your what's your pre-game meal for south carolina
2: yeah so the carolinas are also a uh part of the country that is known for their barbecue right uh i am probably going to go back to the whole hog here but m- uh, mustard based sauces are more of the thing for uh for South Carolina. And you know what? I might throw in some fried chicken as well, just because we're playing the Gamecocks.
1: There you go. There you go. He's Jay Arnold. He breaks down the X's and O's and the behind the scenes stuff of AM and college football for us here at the Eagle. Be sure to follow him at Jay Arnold 85 on Twitter for all of his takes and uh, all of his pregame musings as AM travels to South Carolina. Jay, thanks so much, buddy.
2: Thanks for having me. I always enjoy it.
1: Of course, and thanks, y'all, for uh, watching. We'll be back again next week with more from Jay. Thanks. Next, Robert Cessna and I talked to Ben Portnoy of the state about the upcoming Texas A&M and South Carolina matchup. what's going on everyone we are live here in the eagle newsroom in our fancy new set i'm travis brown with the eagle alongside robert cessna and we have our special guest today ben portnoy with the state who covers south carolina football he's going to help us break down that game The the battle for the bonham trophy uh this weekend in columbia ben what's going on man
0: what's going on guys appreciate you having me this is a swanky new studio i like
1: it i you know it's amazing what like a day's work of bye week can do for uh for 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 a room and for some cameras so uh we're we're enjoying it here so uh i I know it's been a while Do, do any of the players in south carolina know what the Bonham trophy is
0: So I'm not going to lie, Travis. I think you wrote a story about like where the bottom trophy gets housed a couple of years ago. I had to go back and read that. I think last year when Shane Beamer actually made mention that there is a rivalry trophy, quote unquote, uh, in this game, uh, no South Carolina. Uh, I can safely say that most of the South Carolina players did not know, uh, that there is a rivalry trophy involved in this game when they got asked about it last year. And, uh, they didn't exactly give, give themselves a reason to know it existed last year either after that, uh, what 44-14 kind of beat down so uh it, it there's definitely a lacking awareness of uh bottom trophy lore here in columbia
1: <laughs> well well let's go into how we normally open these things and that is uh what are some of the biggest storylines uh things going on with the team points of emphasis with the team heading into this game this weekend
0: yeah i mean south carolina i think feels like it's in a really good place as a program right now. Uh, they're four and two. They're coming off a bye week. They beat Kentucky two weeks ago in Lexington, obviously without Will Levis, but but still a really good defense, and Chris Rodriguez was, was largely held in check. So I, I think that South Carolina's in a spot right now that this program, this team, uh, Shane Beamer as a whole, I mean, they feel pretty good about where they're at. This is about as good as you could have hoped uh, for the most part with starting the season with games against uh, Georgia, Arkansas, and, and Kentucky uh, through those first six. So I think that, you know, when you look at where this program was at a year ago, kind of hoping and scratching and clawing its way to six wins. And frankly, I think on paper was more like a team that probably should have won closer to three games. Uh, I, I think folks are pretty excited. Um, things have been up and down and there's been some, some ruts for sure got blown out against Georgia and, and sort of put on a made the Arkansas game closer at the end than maybe it was, but uh, South Carolina has shown some some promise the last three weeks, I think, and folks are pretty excited about where things are at right now.
3: You know, we can all laugh about the bottom trophy, and we will, and we'll continue to do that as long as A- A&M plays South Carolina. But no laughing matter, I guess, would be to South Carolina players is losing to A&M every year. I mean, it's it's been long enough now that – what, what's what's the feeling? I mean, are they mad? Are they upset? Are they 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 think it's an aberration or what about they always and some most of these games are not close.
0: Yeah, it's been a it's become like the token talking point every year now when South Carolina plays A and M oh, do you guys feel any type of way about losing to A&M every time you played them? Or, you know, what What do you feel like about, is, is this the year that you beat A&M, right? You know, all those things. And I think that Shane Beamer even joked about it today uh, when he got asked about it. He, he was like, you asked me about this last year, and I think I said roughly the same things. Or are we just asking me again this year because we didn't win last year? And, and it was just one of those. So uh, I think that, you know, I think, folks, I, I what I will say is I think that, you know, coming into this year at least, for me personally, like I circled this game. I thought it was going to be a more gettable game for South Carolina than, than a lot of people did. And I think that that's sort of only become more and more so. I think that this is a game that South Carolina feels like it can win. Uh, Zach Pickens, starting defensive tackle for South Carolina, even said today, uh, roughly said, I'm paraphrasing, but basically said, you know, this is probably the best chance we've had to actually beat an A&M team since I've been here. And he's been here for four years now. So this will be his fourth year. So I I think that that speaks a lot to where South Carolina feels about where they're at right now and and what they could do on Saturday and, and sort of the the product that we might see on the field on Saturday.
3: You know, on the outside, looking in Spencer Rattler's numbers, don't look that great to me. Has, has his impact been more than maybe his numbers show me?
0: Yeah. Spencer Rattler has been a really interesting case. You know, I've kind of said this for a couple of weeks now is that his numbers don't really bear out how well he's played. I mean, He's, I think, what, sixth in the SEC in passing right now. Uh, he, he does have the eight interceptions. About four of those probably aren't his fault and we're completely on receivers. So I think that, like, the surface level of looking at his numbers, like, yeah, they don't look great. But I think that he's played a lot better than they might indicate. Uh, the, the other side of that, too, is he's looked really good the last three weeks. And he hasn't been asked to do a ton. I mean, there's been moments where, you know, against Charlotte and uh, South Carolina State, where South Carolina was made mostly able to run the ball at will and they leaned into that and they didn't have to throw the ball 35 times but uh, again last week i mean he wasn't great in the first half against kentucky looked a little erratic uh, had some happy feet and then came back and came 8 for 10 came out 8 for 10 in the second half i think complete racked up i think about 130 of his 178 yards in that game, in the second half i mean he looked really really sharp and really really good so i think that there's been spurts of it and again i like i don't think the numbers necessarily say the whole story, but I think it's been a little bit of what we expect. Spencer Gallo, right. Like there's some good, there's some bad, there's a few wow throws that remind you why he was talked about as a possible Heisman candidate, uh, you know, a year or two years, years ago. But I, I think right now, like he has not been that kind of caliber player, but I, I do think he's played better than his numbers might indicate. And I do think that South Carolina is a lot, a lot, a lot more stable at the quarterback position uh, right now than it was a year ago, for sure.
1: So, year two of, of Shane beamer in in South Carolina H- have you seen the the steps the progression to where the program wants to be under him have you seen his his culture his his system start to take root a little bit more in, in year two or or uh, is it still a little bit of a question of how long that'll take to to integrate itself
0: yeah I think guys have gotten pretty behind Shane Beamer I mean the, the buy-in is there at least it seems like it from you know my conversations at the surface level stuff that we hear you know in press conferences and things like that I, I mean this is a program that I think feels pretty good about where it is right now I think players have bought into what Shane Beamer is selling and I think that you know there's definitely sort of the, the the joke I guess is that Shane Beamer can be a little bit of a car salesman and kind of cheesy with the. the Uh, sunglasses and the backwards hats after the Kentucky game and folks can get annoyed about that. But like, I think that's just kind of what South Carolina is And, and it's, it's fun and it's exciting. And I mean, look, like, let's be real. This is a program that has lost a lot more than it's won during its time in the sec. And I think that if you're a program like that, like you've got to do something different. I think Shane Beamer's done that. I think he's brought an excitement and energy and all those things, a positivity to the program that really was not there under Will Muschamp and And I think that that's something that's been a big change and a big culture shift. And I think you've seen that with the guys that have come in that have been recruited by Beamer. You've seen it from the guys that are here that have bought into what he's selling. And I think that, you know, certainly South Carolina again, like feels like it's in a position to capitalize that on on that again this year. I mean, you know, with AM this week, they played Missouri and Vanderbilt the next two weeks after that, and then a trip to Florida. So like, there's not really a game in the next month that South Carolina doesn't feel like it can win, and sitting at 4-2, and two, I'm not saying they're going to go win all four of those games, but I think they feel pretty good about getting back to bowl eligibility and having a chance to 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 get to, you know, six, seven, eight wins and somewhere in that range.
3: What about, you know, A&M struggles are well-documented in offense. They're kind of surprised that they're not better than what they are. Struggles the offensive line quarterback. When I look at South Carolina's stats, man, great uh, stats against passing, not so, so great against rushing. How do you look at that, that matchup? Do you feel that that's a big edge for South Carolina going into this game, or how do, how do you feel about that?
0: Yeah, it's definitely been a problem. I think that under Shane Beamer, South Carolina hasn't really been great against stopping the run. Uh, I think some of that the first few weeks were some injuries. I mean, South Carolina lost uh, starting defensive end in Jordan Strawn and starting middle linebacker in Mo Cabo in week two. And I think some of that was just adjusting. I mean, that was in the middle of a game against Arkansas, which can run the ball with the best of them. Uh, And I think that that was, you know, you saw a couple of weeks of South Carolina trying to figure out how to mitigate those losses. And I think that over time it's gotten better i mean i think that it's hard to read too far into games against charlotte and south carolina state but south carolina's been better against the run the last few weeks and last week even against chris rodriguez who went off for you know a gajillion yards against mississippi state this past week uh you know he was held to about a what i think 126 yards uh, on 22 carries against south carolina and I mean, he only had four carries that went for 10 or more yards. And I don't think he had a single carry that went for 20 or more. He may have had one carry that was a 20 yard carry, but you know, on those other 18 carries, he was only averaging about three and a half yards a touch. And I think that South, that was market improvement from where South Carolina was a couple of weeks before that. And I think that whether that's a flash in the pan or, or, you know, something that, that speaks to what we're going to see the rest of the season we'll see. And I think that Texas a and is a really good test of that with, with what they tried out there at running back. And I think that, you know, South Carolina feels pretty good about the way it, it, it game plan for Kentucky. And I think you're probably going to be a, see a pretty similar thing uh, against A&M this week.
3: What about uh, South Carolina Is one of those teams that hit the transfer portal really hard, I thought. And of course, uh, Spencer Rattler was, was the, the key. How those other transfers uh, panned out? Do you think that big plus for South Carolina going to the transfer portal or not?
0: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think that Juice Wells, uh, Antoine Wells on the, on the edge a receiver has been really, really good this year. I mean, he's probably been their best receiver, you know, throughout the season. Um, he's got some serious big play potential. He's fast as heck. Uh, he's a guy that'll beat you to the edge and, and just outrun you, uh, and all of those things. So I think that he's the guy that's that came from James Madison and and rewrote the record books. There, uh, was maybe a little bit of an under the radar guy as far as transfer portal guys go, bring a guy like Spencer Rattler but he's been really really good. Uh, Austin Stogner who played at Oklahoma with Spencer has been pretty good in spurts. Uh, he's had his moments. He caught his first touchdown pass at South Carolina a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he's looked better as they've gotten him more involved and I think that's been a positive and then Devonnie Reed at safety has been a really big boost for them. I mean this is a team that that lost an All-American safety and Jalen Foster from last year, a guy who kind of came out of nowhere, turned into an All-American, and suddenly they needed to replace. And Giovanni Reed came over from Central Michigan, where he was an All-MAC guy there, and, and did some really nice things. And, and he's been pretty good since he got he's gotten to South Carolina. Now there's some guys that haven't quite flashed, whether because of injury or other a guy being buried on the death chart or whatever it might be. But for the most part, I feel like South Carolina has gotten what it wanted out of its transfers, and it's had a pretty pretty high hit rate as far as the guys that it's brought
1: in. Well, let's close out with this. What are the keys to the game for South Carolina to be successful? What do they need to do uh, in order to, to get on top of the Aggies?
0: Yeah, I, I think to me, South Carolina has got to be able to run the football. I mean, I, I don't think that, you know, when South Carolina has been at its best this year, it's in games that it's been able to run the football. The Kentucky game, for example, it was able to run the football. It ran for a million yards against Charlotte and South Carolina State for the most part. I, I mean, you kind of expect those things, but you know, the games that South Carolina would played really well and looked crisp offensively, it was able to get a push and get get push guys off the line of scrimmage. And I think that this offensive line was a, a group that was maligned a lot over the offseason, a, a lot through last year, and frankly, deservedly so through the first three games of the season. Uh, and they've been really good the last three weeks. They've been really sound. They've been really solid. And I think that if they can get a push and get Marshawn Lloyd going downhill, I mean, I really do think he's one of the better backs in this conference right now, and he's I think tied for second in the conference in rushing touchdowns right now. He might be top five in the conference in total touchdowns uh, on the on the year. So he's a guy that they need to get going and keep going. Uh, outside of that, I think the defense again has to be able to stop the run. I mean, with what Devin Ainge can do, uh, South Carolina's got to be able to slow that down. But uh, if they keep him, you know. 120 like if he ends up with 120 yards I think South Carolina can win this football game like if you make Haynes King drop back there and throw the ball 30 times South Carolina feels pretty good about their chances because this is a secondary that I think that can create some takeaways and and cause some turnovers and do some things to, to make things uncomfortable and, and it's a group too, frankly that has done a pretty good job getting after the passer. Uh, I mean, Kentucky's offensive line has been really bad this year, but South Carolina had six sacks last week against, excuse me, two weeks ago against the Wildcats in Lexington. So this is a group that's been more disruptive than it might show on paper. They don't necessarily have the sack numbers to back it up, but they, they've been up there and, and have gotten in the quarterback space. So I think that if they can create a world where, you know, Asian runs for 120 yards or 125 yards and hands can has ask to throw the ball 25, 28 times, like that's a pretty good recipe for success. And I think if you double that with, with the running game, if South Carolina runs for about 150 yards, I think they'll feel pretty good about where they're at offensively. And that you expect that Spencer Rattler will make a few plays here and there as well.
1: Well, Ben, I think that's all we got for you today. Why don't you let the people know where they can read your stuff and, and find you on social media?
0: Yeah, you can follow me at Bportnoy15 uh, on Twitter. And then you can read, the st- read my stuff on uh, thestate.com. So any of those places is a good spot to find it.
1: Wonderful. Well, Ben, thanks so much. Uh, We'll see you out there in Columbia. And uh, thanks everyone for watching this breakdown. That's all for this week's My Aggie Nation podcast. For Robert Cessna, Alex Miller, I'm Travis Brown. Big thanks to Jay Arnold and Ben Portnoy for joining us this week. We'll be back next week with another edition of the My Aggie Nation podcast. See you then.
2: It seems like
1: every day everything just has a way, a way to must have the scenes. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good love ain't a girl, we know that's true. And if we wanna keep it, we gotta watch everything.
2: Joy you sticking with me?